Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You are now listening to the new podcast by Al Furqan Islamic Center. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and share it with your friends and your family. Jazakallah khairan. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Walaqibatu lil muttaqin. Ashhadu la ilaha illallah. Wahdahu la sharika lah. Wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحابه أجمعين أما بعد. In the name of Allah, the Most Merciful, the One who bestows mercy. Indeed, all praise is due to Allah, the Lord of the worlds. And may peace and blessings be upon our beloved Prophet Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم, upon his family, companions, and all those who follow the guidance of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم until يوم القيامة. In the hadith of Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه. The Prophet وسلم, he mentioned some of the signs of the hour. Meaning before Qiyamah Sa'a, before the day of resurrection, there are certain signs which will occur. And these signs are divided into two. The major signs and the minor signs. The major signs of the hour are specific incidents and occurrences which will take place. Specific things. The minor signs of the hour point to the general state of the affairs upon the earth during that time. And from those minor signs, he said, لا تقوم الساعة, The hour will not be established حتى يقبض العلم, until knowledge is taken away. ويظهر الجهل And ignorance becomes widespread. ويكثر الهرج and Al-Haraj, it increases. The companions, alayhim ridwanullah, they said, Ya Rasulullah wa mal haraj. O Messenger of Allah, what is Al-Haraj? He said, Al-Qital. It is violence and killing and wars and confusion and matters like this. So, this confusion and this violence, it is fitna. And nowadays, there is much fitna upon the people. And many people are being lost to the fitna. And therefore, a person has to try to find the ways in which he can save himself from the fitna. And of course, Islam, just like it gives us guidance in how to make wudu and how to perform salah, it has also given us guidance in how to remove ourselves and save ourselves from this fitna and this haraj. And there are three important points or three important steps that we have to take. The first of these steps to save yourselves from fitna is a taqwa. That you have to have a taqwa. You have to have piety. You have to fear Allah in that which we say and that which we do in our statements and actions. We have to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as I mentioned in the reminder a minute ago, a taqwa is the only thing which makes one person better than another person. Inna Allah la yanduru ila suwarikum. Allah does not look at your appearances. Wala ila ajtamikum. He does not look at your bodies, how strong or how weak your body is. Wala ila libasikum. And He does not look at your clothes. Wala wujuhakum. And He does not look at your faces. He only looks at your actions and the taqwa which you have. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 
he stood in front of the largest gatherings of the Muslims towards the end of his life. In the final sermon which he gave, he said, Ayyuhan Nas, O people, Ala inna rabbakum wahid, verily your Lord is one. Wa abakum wahid, and your father is one, meaning Adam alayhi salam. All of you have come from Adam alayhi salam. Ala la fadla li arabina ala a'jami. There is no virtue or superiority for the Arab over the non-Arab. And there is no virtue of superiority for the non-Arab over the Arab. And there is no superiority for a white person over a black person. And neither is there any virtue of a black person over a white person. He said just by one thing, only by taqwa. Only by taqwa. Are you as an individual in front of Allah superior and better, more, virtue, more virtuous than another person? And as I mentioned, this taqwa, this is the advice that Allah has given to all of the people from Adam salam, to Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Allah said in the Quran, وَلَقَدْ الَّذِينَ Verily, we have admonished those people who are given the book min qablikum before you to have a taqwa wa iyyakum and you as well meaning allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he admonished those who came before us and us and those who will come after us only with one thing with a taqwa because this taqwa it saves you from the fitna and a taqwa means that before you speak you have to think is this speech going to anger Allah or is it going to please Allah? And before you do an action, you have to think, this action which I'm about to do, is it going to please Allah or is it going to anger Allah? This is the meaning of a taqwa So when you speak to the people, you speak to them in goodness. Allah said, husna. Say goodness to the people. Speak with goodness to the people. If somebody is bad towards you, Allah said, ahsan." then reply in a way which is better. All of these are from the teachings of Al-Islam. So when a person assumes a taqwa in his statements and his actions, then bi'idhnillah he is saved from the fitan, from these, this confusion and these tribulations and tests that many people are entering into. And the second matter or the second step is that a person has to always look at the state of his heart. Always check and analyze his heart and always try to purify his heart. Because whenever a heart becomes full of jealousy and malice and hatred and personal problems, then it drags a person towards the fitan, towards this violence and this oppression and this confusion. And Islam attaches importance to the heart more than anything else. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu narrates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said La yastaqimu imanu abdin hatta yastaqima qalbuhu That the iman of a person will never be upright until the heart of a person is upright. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said Ala wa inna fil jasadi mudgha Verily in the body there is a flesh, there is an organ. If this part of the body becomes correct, then all of the body, all of the body is correct. 
But if this becomes corrupt, then all of the body will become corrupt. He said, Verily it is the heart. So it's not possible for a person to rectify his statements and rectify his actions if he has corruption in the heart. So the most important thing that a person has to attach importance to is the state of his heart and trying to remove any malice or spite or jealousy from his heart. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentioned on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, on that day in which wealth and children will be of no benefit to a person. Then he said, Except for the person who comes to Allah, who meets Allah with a clean heart, with a sound heart. So Islam encourages us to, what, to attach importance to the heart and the state of the heart. And this ikhlas, this sincerity which we have in the heart, it isn't just one step that a person takes. Meaning a person says, okay, I have found ikhlas, now I am sincere. This is not how sincerity works. This is not a tawheed and this is not how shaitan works. Rather, the struggle for tawheed and ikhlas, it is continuous all the time. The biggest trap that shaitan has for the students of knowledge is showing off and insulting or trying to weaken their sincerity. And for this reason, the Salaf, they used to say, مَا جَاهَدْتُ نَفْسِي عَلَىٰ شَيْءٍ كَمُجَاهَدَتِهَا عَلَىٰ الْإِخْلَاسِ I've never strived against anything like the striving I have to do for Al-Ikhlas. So Al-Ikhlas is not like Wudu, for example. We know before you pray, you have to make Wudu. You go, you make Wudu, you've done it, and now you come and pray. This is not how Ikhlas is. Sincerity, you have to maintain it before you do your action and during you, your action and even after your action. You have to keep struggling upon Al-Ikhlas, trying to be sincere, trying to be sincere. And then the third matter, in order to save yourselves from the fitna, is knowledge. Seeking knowledge and busying yourself with knowledge. Because fitna, people enter into fitna when they have free time, always. You will see the majority of the people who talk and they enter into fitna and they delve into issues which they shouldn't delve into is when they have free time. They have too much free time to check the forums and spread the messages and check the social media so they start wasting their time and entering into fitna. But when a person is busy with, for example, his schooling and then learning and memorizing and revising, he doesn't have time to enter into fitna. When a person is busy, busy with work and then with learning Islamic knowledge, he doesn't have time. Or he's busy with his family and his children and then learning himself and trying to memorize then his time is taken up with beneficial matters. So always the heart which is affected by fitna is the heart which is empty. But when that heart is full of knowledge and iman and the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then fitna does not enter into it. Because you don't have time to go into it. If anybody tries to talk to you about some issue between the scholars for example, you don't have time because you're busy, your children, your work, your school, your studies, your Islamic knowledge, it keeps you busy so you don't have time to go towards it. So knowledge, my brothers and sisters, is very important.
And also after this, there are certain mistakes that specifically students of knowledge, they fall into. And these mistakes, and there are six in total, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al he mentions them in Kitab al-Ilm, the book of knowledge. And as a side point, this book, Kitab al-Ilm, the book of knowledge, it's from the best books which have been written in the modern time when it comes to how to seek knowledge and the manners of seeking knowledge and those things which relate to this. I advise every single person who can read Arabic to have with them every single day a small portion of this book which they read. And I know that some of it has been translated into English. It's called the Book of Knowledge. It was translated by our brother Abu Abdullah Muhammad Akhtar. Uh, and I think the ver first volume has been published and printed. I think it's with Dar as Salaam. So this book, Kitabul Ilm, is very important. In this book, in page 71, Sheikh Ibn Uthameen, he mentions six mistakes that students of knowledge, they often fall into. And these six mistakes are Al-Hasad, jealousy, Al-Ifta' bi-ghayri ilm, giving rulings without knowledge, Al-Kibr, being proud and arrogant, Al-Ta'assub, uh, being stubborn upon blind following something or a group or a people. Number five, that a person puts himself in front of the people before he's qualified. And finally, having suspicions and bad thoughts about fellow Muslims. These six mistakes, they can affect any person, any Muslim, but they are, the students of knowledge are more susceptible to them. And this is from Tilbis Iblis. This is from the deception and the traps of Iblis, which it plays upon the students of knowledge. So the first of them is Al-Hasad, jealousy. Shaitan, whenever he sees people united together, loving each other for the sake of Allah, he tries to cause them problems. He tries to disunite them. And that's why you see sometimes students of knowledge, even scholars, they were united and then over a small thing they become disunited and then personal matters enter into the difference and all of it comes down to only jealousy which shaitan has placed in their hearts and ibn uthameen rahimullah he said he said wa anta ya akhi and you are my brother idha ra'ayta allah qad an'ama ala 'abdihi ni'matan ma if you see that Allah has blessed your Muslim brother with a particular blessing. Then try to be like him. But do not hate the one whom Allah has blessed. So if you see a person and Allah has blessed him with knowledge, for example, don't become jealous of that person. Don't hate that person. But try to be like him. Strive to be better than him. And he said, and make dua for him. Allahumma zidhu min fadlika wa a'tini afdal minhu. Say, oh Allah, increase my, oh Allah, increase my brother in what you have given him and make me better than him. There's nothing wrong with this. So competing with each other to be better and making dua for you to be better than another person, there's nothing wrong with this. 
but hating that person and becoming jealous of that person and then warning against that person, this is al-hasad. The second mistake he mentioned, uh, and then he said, فَإِنَّ الْحَسَدَ لَا يُغَيِّرُ شَيْئًا مِنَ الْحَالِ Because this jealousy, it will never ever change anything. This person who's been given this blessing which you don't have. The fact that you hate him and you're jealous over him, it's not going to change anything. It's not going to make you better than him. It's not going to bring this blessing to you. But you making dua for him and for yourself, this will change the matter. You competing with him to be better with him in that blessing, this will change the matter. As for jealousy in of itself, it does not change anything. If I, in fact, it only harms you. The second mistake he said, Al-ifta bi ghayri ilm is giving rulings and speaking without knowledge. And subhanAllah, this was a mistake which the ulama used to mention when it came to tulab al-ilm. That students of knowledge who have studied something, then shaitan starts deceiving them, thinking they have more than that which they possess in knowledge, so then they start giving fatawa. This is halal, this is haram. And maybe older scholars would be shy to give a ruling, and yet, younger tulab al-ilm, they are giving rulings. But nowadays, the problem is much worse. Because not only does this apply to the students of knowledge, but even many of the common Muslims. You find a person, absolute jahil, absolutely ignorant about Islam, never studied anything, and yet he or she is willing to give his or her opinion, and they two pence. When it comes to the hijab, well, my opinion is that this is the meaning of al-hijab. When it comes to traveling without a mahram, well, my opinion is X, Y, Z. And like this. And again, Ibn Uthameen in Kitabul Ilm, he said, Ayyuhal ikhwah, O brothers, and he's speaking to students of knowledge. He said, Inna min al-aqli, from intelligence, wal-iman, and from iman, wa min taqwa Allah, and from the taqwa of Allah, wa min ta'zimihi, and from you exalting Allah is what? أَنْ يَقُولَ الرَّجُلُ عَمَّا لَا يَعْلَمْ لَا أَعْلَمْ Is that a person should say regarding something which he does not know, I do not know. وَلَا أَدْرِي And I don't have knowledge regarding it. وَاسْأَلْ غَيْرِي And ask other than me. فَإِنَّهُ مِنْ تَمَامَ الْعَقَلِ This is from the perfection of a person's intellect. So when we start seeking knowledge, don't start giving rulings and making judgments upon other people and labeling other groups and other people because you have sought a little bit of knowledge. The senior, older scholars, they would be shy from doing this. And as we think that because we have memorized Al-Arba'un and Nawawiyah, we are going to now start giving fatawa. And this is an avenue which shaitan enters into a, amongst the tulab al-ilm. So we have to be aware of this. The third mistake that people fall into, tulab al fall into, is al-kibr, is showing off and pride and boasting. And when we talk about pride, we are not talking about a person being proud of the way he dresses, or a person being proud of the shoes he wears, or the, the fact that he, he appears in front of the people in a good appearance, with good perfume. He wants to live in a clean house, he wants to drive a nice respectable car. He wants to have a respectable degree. This is not the meaning of al-kibr. And Islam does not forbid a person from doing this. Islam does not forbid you from becoming rich or driving a nice car or wearing nice clothes. Never. In fact, even from the Salaf, 
there were those from the great imams from the awliya of Allah who were very rich and they had a good lifestyle. They mentioned regarding Al-Imam Abu Hanifa rahimullah Nu'man ibn Thabit al-Kufi that you could tell before he entered into a place you could tell he was coming from the smell of his perfume because he was known for wearing, for wearing very beautiful fragrant perfume. And even the companions when the Prophet said La yadkhurul jannah the person who has even a small amount of kibr of pride in his heart he will never enter into jannah. The companion said, Ya Rasulullah, man minna la yuhib. Who amongst us does not love wearing nice clothes or is not proud of wearing nice sandals? And the Prophet said, This is not kibr. This is not the pride which we are talking about. If Allah blesses a person with something, He loves for that blessing to be seen in that person. Allah has blessed you with wealth. Use that wealth to wear nice clothes, to have a nice house, to drive a respectable car. But He said, Al-Kibr, it is batrul haq wa ghamtun nas. It is stubbornly rejecting the truth and belittling people. This is Al-Kibr. Batrul haq Stubbornly rejecting the truth. Why have you rejected the truth? Because it came from a person who I consider lower than me. How, I'm a scholar. How can I accept an advice from an army from the street? This is Al-Kibr. And this is from a shaitan and also belittling people, putting yourself forward and praising yourself and boasting about yourself. And Allah Jalla Shanu, He said in the Quran, Fala anfusakum. Do not praise yourselves. Because Allah is most knowing of who has taqwa amongst you. You don't need to praise yourselves. Your actions will praise you or your actions will dishonor you. Ask for your speech, then it is not you are not in need of it. The fourth mistake is a ta'asub. A ta'asub means being stubborn upon a particular opinion or a particular group or with a particular scholar. And we see this even among some of the youth of Ahlul Sunnah, those who claim to follow the way of the self, we see this. Whoever doesn't praise a particular shaykh, then he's not with us. Whoever is against us, then they are not with us. And all of this is from Al-Ta'asub and Al-Hizbiyya, partisanship and fanaticism. So a Muslim is only attached to the truth. Regardless of where it came from or who mentioned it, only the truth matters. And if a particular scholar makes a mistake, then that mistake can be rejected. And then the fifth mistake, he said, Ibn Uthameen, At-Tasaddur Qabla Ta'ahul is that a person puts himself forward in front of the others before he is qualified to do so. Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're speaking about the religion of Allah. It's not allowed for you to put yourself and give your opinion when it comes to the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if you know something from the religion of Allah, speak with it and call to it. And don't be scared of what the people will say. And then finally, Su'avvan having a bad suspicion about other Muslims. This is not allowed. Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, if you hear from your Muslim brother a statement, you hear from somebody, he makes a statement. This statement, it can have a good meaning or a bad meaning. What did he say? فَلَا فِي كَلِمَةٍ خَرَجَتْ مِنْ أَخِيكَ as long as you can find for him 
a benefit of the doubt, a benefit of doubt, then don't have a suspicion of him. Meaning a person makes an ambiguous statement, it can possibly mean something bad, it can possibly mean something good. As Muslims, what do we have to do? We have to give that person benefit of the doubt, as long as he's a Muslim. We always have to assume that he meant it in the good way. Or maybe he was joking. Maybe he didn't mean to really mock me. Mock me. Maybe he meant something else. Maybe his intention was good. And like this, always giving benefit of the doubt, having good thought and not having a bad suspicion. So these things, my brothers and sisters, I wanted to remind myself with first and all of you after when it comes to seeking knowledge and before we start learning. After this, as has been advertised and announced, we're going to go through a small treatise called Al-Arba'oon Al-Nawawiyyah. 40, I 40 hadith of Al-Nawawi. Al-Nawawi meaning Al-Imam Al-Nawawi Rahimullah. So in this treatise, Al-Imam Al-Nawawi Rahimullah, he brought together a number of hadith. And in actuality, there are 42 hadith. They are not 40 hadith. And the Arabs, in their writing, they have this usloob. That sometimes something might, something might be 41 or 42 or 43, and they call it 40. This is known amongst the writing of the Arabs. So even though the treatise is called Al-Arba'oon Al-Nawawiyyah, the 40 hadith of Al-Imam Al-Nawawi, but in reality they are 42 hadith. And it has been rounded down to 40. And before we speak about the book, we want to know about the author, who he was, and where he came from. And he is Al-Imam Al-Hafidh Abu Zakariya Yahya Ibn Sharaf Al-Nawawi Rahimahullah. So his name was Yahya, and the name of his father was Sharaf, and his kunya was Abu Zakariya, and he was Nawawi. And the meaning of Nawawi is, this is an ascription to a place in Syria called Nawa. And because he was born there, and he grew up there, he was ascribed to it, and so he is a Nawawi. And he was born in the month of Muharram, 631 Hijri. Meaning, about 800 or 810 years before our time today. And just so you know, you can place his birth in context, then after An-Nawawi was Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Qayyim and Ibn Rajab and As-Siyuti. These scholars came after him. And before An-Nawawi was Ibn Hazm and Al-Qurtubi and Ibn Al-Jawzi and Ibn Qudama. They came before him. And Al-Imam Al-Hafidh Abu Zakariya An-Nawawi Rahimullah, some of those who used to love him, they used to call him Muhyiddin, as a nickname, Muhyiddin. And the meaning of Muhyiddin is the one who has given life to the religion, meaning the one who has revived the religion. But An-Nawawi Rahimullah, he used to hate this title. Firstly, from his modesty, and because he didn't want to be affected by pride, he used to forbid people from calling him Muhyiddin. And also he used to say, that the religion has never died for it to be given life again. The religion has always been alive. So he refused this title. And An-Nawawi Rahimullah, he was born, as I mentioned, in this town, An-Nawa, in Syria, to righteous parents 
from a righteous family however they were not from the people of knowledge they were just righteous people and as was the practice at that time that the parents they would push their tw children towards the hifth of the Quran so he memorized the Quran and he was only 10 years old and then as he grew older he had an enthusiasm in him to go seek knowledge and to learn so when he was 10 years old he sought permission from his father to go travel to the ulama to the scholars and to seek knowledge but his father refused him because his father was in need of a worker to bring money to the family so then for a number of years his father refused him from seeking knowledge to help him in the work that they were doing and then one day it is mentioned that a scholar from uh, Marrakesh, from Maghrib, from Morocco, he was traveling through, through Syria. And his name was Yasin ibn Yusuf al-Marrakashi. And as he was passing by, he noticed this young person, a Nawawi, and he's only 16, 17 years old, and how intelligent he is and how strong his memory is. And so again, he went to his parents. And he advised them to allow him to go seek knowledge. So then his father, at 18 years old, he permitted a Nawi rahimullah to go seek knowledge. And the, and the reason why I mention this is, look how the advice of a person or the words of a person can have such a great effect. This Qadi, Yasin ibn Yusuf al-Marrakashi, I don't think he, Wallahu alam, understood how much of an effect his words would have. He only saw a young boy, this young boy was playing and he saw from him intelligence and the fact he's memorized Quran. So from the sea, he went to his parents, he advised them to allow him to seek knowledge and then this person came, became Al-Imam Al-Nawi Rahimullah. And even till today, his books and his effects, they are still, Muslims are still benefiting from them. So this matter of advising and looking to our children and our youth, and especially if we see amongst them somebody's particularly intelligence, then we invest in that person and we attach importance to him. This is very, very important. And we don't know. Maybe the next Nawawi will come from Manchester. Naam, it's possible. Al Albani, where did he come from? Albania, Europe. He didn't come from Saudi Arabia, he came from Albania. And a large group of the scholars. They came from Andalus, like Ibn Hazm, like Al-Qurtubi. They came from Andalus. Andalus is southern Spain. And how many of the scholars came from Persia? And how many of the scholars came from Africa? How many of the scholars came from uh, India and Pakistan and these areas? So it's very possible that there will be ulama from our children who arise from Manchester, from England, from America. So we have to have a high ambition when it comes to our children. And Al-Imam Al-Nawi rahimullah, 18 years old, he left his parents and he travelled to Mecca for Hajj. And then he stayed in Mecca and Hijaz seeking knowledge for a number of years. And then he returned to Damascus. Then he returned to Damascus. And then when he reached 30 years old, then he started teaching and writing books. And from the amazing things of Al-Imam Al-Nawi is that he only lived till 45 years old. He only lived till 45. So imagine the first 10 years he was a child. He memorized Quran. Then 8 years more he worked with his father until he was 18 years old. 
Then after 18, for another 11-12 years, he went and he travelled and he sought knowledge. And then for the last 15 years of his life, he taught and he wrote books only for 15 years. Within these 15 years, without computers, without technology, without any of this, without encyclopedias, he managed to write that which maybe no other scholar has ever written. As an example, he explained Sahih Muslim in nine volumes, written. It's with us today. It'll be in the bookshelves. It's called Sharh Sahih Muslim of Imam al-Nawi, nine volumes. He wrote Al-Majmu'ah. Al-Majmu' is one of the greatest encyclopedias of fiqh. Right now, depending on the print, it goes up to 15 volumes. And yet he didn't complete it. He only completed two Babur Riba, the chapter of Riba. Then he passed away. And I think it was Al-Dhahabi ibn Kathir. They said that had he completed all of the Majmu', there would be no book of fiqh which was similar to it or comparable to it in any way better than any other book of fiqh which has ever been written. So as I mentioned, this is 15, 20 volumes, 30 volumes depending on the print. And then he wrote Rawdat al-Talibin and this was nine volumes. And then he wrote many other books like for example Riyadh al-Salihin, a volume which we have and Arba'oon al-Nawawiyah which is a small treatise and Al-Adhkar and At-Tibyan and also the most important, one of the most important treaties of Shafi'i fiqh is Al-Minhaj. And this is also summarized by Al-Nawawi. And also Al-Tahdeeb, Fil-Asma Wal-Lugha. All of these books he wrote in only 15 years without a computer, without technology, just by ink and by paper, without electricity. All of this was not there. But because of his sincerity, his ikhlas, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him. He blessed him in his time. These 15 years what he wrote up until now, the scholars with all this technology that we have, we cannot write it. Only because of al-ikhlas, bithnillah. And the blessing which Allah placed in his time. And then he passed away in 676 Hijri. And as I mentioned, he was only 45 years old. And he hadn't married. From these 45 years, 10 years as a child. 8 years working with his parents. Then 10 years in seeking knowledge and then 15 years of teaching and writing and giving da'wah and advising. He authored this treatise Al-Arba'oon Al-Nawawiyyah 40 hadith as I said 42 hadith which he has compiled and this book no doubt it is blessed. How do we know it is blessed? because it has been accepted by the Ummah and also Riyadh al-Salihin. Riyadh al-Salihin, I don't think you will find a masjid or a home of a Muslim except it will have this book Riyadh al-Salihin in either English or Arabic or whatever language a person speaks. Almost in every single masjid you will find Riyadh al-Salihin. And many of the homes of the Muslims you will find Riyadh al-Salihin. Ibn Uthimi mentioned a beautiful point he says, when you see a person and the Ummah has accepted him, then you know that this person is blessed. One of the indicators that a person is from the awliya of Allah and this person has blessing and this person was sincere and he had tawheed is that he is accepted by the Ummah. For this reason they say, the four great Imams, Abu Hanifa, Malik, Shafi and Ahmad ibn Hanbal, we can say that they are people who had al-ikhlas, bi-idhnillah. 
and they were from the awliya of Allah. Why? Because the whole ummah has accepted them. The whole ummah has accepted their authority in knowledge. Like this, An-Nawawi, Rahimahullah. And these 40 or 42 hadith which he compiled, there were scholars who came before him, and they also compiled 40 hadith. Some of them about jihad. Some of them about knowledge. Some of them about particular aspect of fiqh. So before him, for example, Al-Ajurri, he compiled 40 hadith. And other than him. Al-Imam al nawawi he took a different approach. He said, instead of me compiling 40 hadith about one particular thing like knowledge or jihad, I want to compile 40 or 42 hadith which cover all of the religion. So these 42 hadith which he has compiled, every science of Islam is covered by these 42 hadith. In these 42 hadith are hadith which relate to aqidah. In these 42 hadith are hadith which relate to fiqh. In these 42 hadith are hadith which relate to halal and haram, and sunnah and bid'ah, and also good manners. And also heart softness and tazkiyah to nafs, the purification of the soul. From these 42 hadith are hadith which relate to laws and rulings. And also even jihad and also Islamic brotherhood and, and iman and many other things which are covered by these 42 hadith. So these 42 hadith which he bought, he did this purposefully. That he gathered 42 hadith, every single science, you have memorized something from it. And for this reason, many of the scholars, they encourage the tulab al-ilm to memorize these hadith. And we will be, idhnillah, in the next lessons, go through these hadith. We'll try to memorize them amongst ourselves. So what you have to do, my brothers, is before you come to the lesson, try to memorize the hadith in various levels, according to your level. If you can memorize the full Arabic from the Rawi and Abi Huraira to the one who compiled the hadith like Bukhari and Muslim and this whole hadith and memorize it. If you cannot do this, then memorize at least the wording of the Prophet, just the hadith itself. Without the Rawi, without the narrator, without the reference, memorize the wording of the Prophet If you cannot do this, then at the least try to memorize the translation of the hadith. And if you cannot do this, then at the least try to memorize the general meaning of the hadith. So the one who has the mem memory and the capacity Allah gives him tawfiq, memorize it in, memorize it in Arabic. And it, it isn't difficult because all of these hadith, the majority of them are very, very short. Some of them are only a line. Some of them two lines. And I think the largest of them is two pages or even those two pages maybe the hadith of Jibreel it's very very easy so try to memorize them next week we're going to go through the first hadith so now you have a whole week in order to memorize the first hadith how does a person do this from the easiest ways is memorizing with each other so choose a friend and instead of just socializing and wasting time try to memorize this hadith with each other with these various levels which we have. So for example, you say, okay, for tomorrow, let's me and you meet up at Maghrib and let's try to memorize the first four words, just the first four words, or the narrator who has mentioned it. And then the day after, we'll revise that together. You say to me 10 times, I will say to you 10 times. And at home, memorize 
the next sentence and then the next day like this and each time you revise 10 times what you have what you have done previously and the more you try the easier Allah makes it for you people ask what's the secret to memorizing give me tips to strengthen my hifth the only secret to memorizing is memorize and when you memorize and you're sincere Allah will make your memory stronger and he will make it easy for you and if there was a secret, then every single person would be a half of the Bukhari and Muslim. There is no secret. There is only ikhlas and there is only hard work. And when you work hard and when you have ikhlas, then Allah blesses you in that which you have. So try to memorize that hadith. And also each hadith, we will try to speak about the biography of the narrator of the hadith. So we know something about the Sahaba. And then also we will try to mention uh, benefits from the hadith. And if a person wants to read an explanation before he comes to the lesson, then look at the explanation of Sheikh Ibn Uthameen Rahimullah. And I think it might be in English as well. Or Jamil Ulum Wal Hikam of Ibn Rajab. Because inshallah when we read, we read from both of these two books. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq. Allahumma inna nas'aluka ilman nafi'an wa amalan salihan wa rizqan tayyiba. Allahumma, Allahumma rizqna bil ikhlas. والعمل الصالح اللهم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وصلى الله على نبينا وسلم. If there's any questions regarding what we mentioned, you're welcome to ask your questions.